Welcome to This Human Life with The Philosophical Coach. I'm thrilled to have you tuning in. I'm your host, Sam Kukathis, aka The Philosophical Coach, philosopher, Hume expert, and high-performance coach. This podcast is designed for you to go from being the passenger in your life to the owner of your life. It is designed for you to go beyond who you know yourself to be, really. If that intrigues or excites you, then you are definitely in the right place. The ideas are drawn from neuroscience, philosophy, my coaching practice, working with elite leaders, and experience. You can expect candor, humor, vulnerability, and ideas which are unfamiliar to you, and some you may just plain disagree with. You'll also get the opportunity to hear from inspiring coaches and leaders. Now let's get ready to question what we know and go beyond our limitations. Welcome back to This Union Life. Today we're looking at how to embrace pain to avoid suffering with Brian Bogert. Now, Brian has interesting philosophy. He says, there's a sleeping giant in every human and awakening those giants within and turning them into legends by helping individuals grab what's out of their grasp is his purpose in life. He's a heart surgeon without a blade. He doesn't start outside with what you need to do. He starts inside with who you are in a world that is disconnected. Brian is revolutionizing how individuals, leaders, and entrepreneurs deeply connect with their authentic selves to achieve the best versions of themselves. Like me, he is a disruptor. He needs a life philosophy, which I'm fascinated to hear more about. And it's about this idea of how to embrace pain to avoid suffering. And this idea of bring people before profits, an unusual one in this common age, especially. And then this notion of who before what. And this he utilizes to transform individuals, transform companies. And, you know, his vision is a big one. And that's what excites me about working with him today, because he's looking to make an impact by 2045 with a billion lives. So, Brian, thank you so much for being on the show. Sam, man, it's my true pleasure to be here. I mean, we, we spent a few minutes jamming on a call before we decided to do this. And, and I just I, we, we captured a little bit of lightning in a bottle that day. So when when you extended the offer to actually do a full blown interview, I got excited because I knew the conversation was going to be awesome. So thank you for the opportunity to be here with you, man. My pleasure. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. Sometimes you just, it's a kinetic feeling when you're like, wow, okay, this is going to be good. <laughs> That's right. So, you know, let's dive right in because, you know, time is precious. You know, every moment that people are disconnected is a moment lost. So let's go from this idea that you have, which is about how to embrace pain to avoid suffering. And, you know, give us some context for why is this so important to you and why should, what do we need to know about this and what difference can it make in our lives? Yeah, so I'm actually going to start with a story because I think the context of where the philosophy came from is as important as the understanding of the philosophy. Yeah. Um, and so I, I'm going to ask you and anybody who's listening right now, unless they're driving, of course, to just close your eyes for just one second, and I'll tell you when to reopen them. I want you to imagine going to a store, having a successful shopping trip, breezing through the checkout line, which we always know those lucky days, walking out the doors, looking up, feeling the wind in your hair, the warmth of the sun on your skin, and you've got a pep in your step because you just know you're going on with your day. You get to your car and you reach down into your pocket to fumble for your keys to reach down and unlock the door so you can go on with your day. And as you're reaching into your pocket, you turn your head and you see a truck barreling 40 miles an hour right at you with no time to react. Go ahead and open your eyes. That's where this portion of my story begins. My mom, my brother, and I went to our local Walmart to get a one-inch paintbrush. And anybody who's known me for more than two minutes knows I've always had an excitement and vigor for life. So I was, of course, the first one in the car. I wanted to get home and put that paintbrush to use. And as I was standing there, this was back in the days before key fobs, right? I had to literally wait for my mom and brother who were three, four feet behind me to catch up, stick that physical key in the door, turn it so that we could go on with our day. 
And as we were standing there waiting, there was a truck that pulled up in front of the store, parked, and the driver and middle passenger got out. Passenger all the way to the right felt the truck moving backwards. So Sam, he did what any one of us would do, and he scooted over to put his foot on the brake, but he instead hit the gas. Now, what I didn't realize until recently is anytime I would go to do that, I would probably ramp my knee way up high and slam down on that, that brake pedal. All that force went into the gas pedal. So it threw him up on the dashboard, up on the steering wheel. And before you know it, he was catapulted up onto the dashboard, catapulting 40 miles an hour across the parking lot right at us with no time to react. Now, we were in an end spot. He goes up over the median, up over the tree in the median, hits our car, knocks me over, runs over me diagonally, tears my spleen, leaves a tire track scar on my stomach, and continues on to completely sever my left arm from my body. So this was 6.10 p.m., August 10th, 1992, 115-degree day in Phoenix, Arizona. My mom and brother watched the whole thing happen. They look up and they see my arm laying on the parking lot 10 feet away. Fortunately for me, so did my guardian angel. There was a nurse that walked out of the store right when this took place. She saw the literal life and limb scenario in front of her, and I am forever indebted to this woman for choosing to turn into action versus go on with her day. She came over and stopped the bleeding on the main wound and saved my life. And she instructed some innocent bystanders to run inside, grab a cooler, put my detached limb on ice within minutes to give me a fighting chance of having a reattached limb. Sam, had she not done one or both of those, I either wouldn't be here with you today or I'd be here today with a cleaned up stump. So thank you for letting me go on a little bit of a detour there. I know that, that we needed some context there because I think you guys needed to understand like what this looks like. And I know that, that the listeners were not expecting it to go there today. Right? I know that I have an extremely unique story, but what I've also realized in all my time of doing this, Sam, is that we all have unique stories. What's important is that we pause and become aware of the lessons we can extract from those stories and become intentional with how do we apply them in our lives. And we all have the ability to do that. So I have two primary lessons that have shaped my life. One, I learned not to get stuck by what has happened to me, but instead get moved by what I can do with it. And the second is the one you referenced. You see, it's seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 years old. This concept is starting to be formed because I was having un like unceasing medical treatments, years of physical therapy. And although I was being guided to the process, it was in a fog. My parents were not. Mm. They were intimately aware of all of it. And the idea of seeing their son grow up without the use of his left arm was a source of great potential suffering for them. So they willed themselves day in and day out to do what was necessary, to do what was tough, to embrace the pains required to ultimately strengthen and heal me. So whether it was intentional or not, what they did was ingrain in me a philosophy and a way of living, which was to embrace pain, to avoid suffering. Now, I believe that when this is done correctly, that's also where we gain freedom. And that's when the door starts to crack to perspective, motivation, and direction. And we have the chance of joy, freedom, and fulfillment holistically entered into our lives. So let's understand the concept really quick. I gave you all the context, but I'm going to pause for a second. Is there anything you want to talk about there before we break it down? Yeah, I guess I'm, I'm curious about where would people potentially go wrong? And maybe this is something you want to go, go into uh, later. But the first thing, you know, said so like if people do it, if they people take this philosophy correctly, then, you know, this is the, this is the upshot. But where yep. do people go wrong? So we will hit that. I think it's important to show what the path probably looks like on how to do this. And then we yep. can break down yep. where typically people go wrong because it's throughout the process. Perfect. Um, first and foremost, it starts within our definition of pain. And it starts with this idea that we literally buy into what the world tells us. The world tells us to reduce, eliminate, or avoid pain at all costs. And it makes sense. It's a natural evolutionary response for survival, right? A hundred years ago, we cut our leg, our arm. We, get, we, we literally just scrape our skin. We could die. But that's not really our reaction or our reality anymore, right? We don't have those same issues, at least in, in, in first world countries for the most part. And 
typically with the medical release that we have across the globe, it's not a problem, but we typically still believe in that narrative. Reduce, limit, or avoid pain. I'm telling you the world is wrong. We have to start by understanding what's the difference between pain and suffering. Pain is defined as short-term, intermittent, a direct cause from something and alleviated once that direct cause is removed. And then we as human beings screw up the definition like we do with everything else by putting adjectives in front of it, like acute and chronic. Now, acute maintains the definition, but chronic inherently changes it because it implies it's no longer short-term and it persists after that direct cause is removed. So let's stop calling that chronic pain and let's call it what it really is, suffering. What we know is that pain gets lots of attention because we feel it, it's real time, it's right there, it's in our face. What we also know is that pain is a really difficult thing to measure independent of the person experiencing it. So making any kind of other kind of definitive conclusions about pain is difficult other than one thing. It's a universal human experience. Suffering, on the other hand, we don't typically pay attention to, and we don't even want to admit it exists, particularly when it's a direct result of our choices. But what we also know is that suffering creeps up on us slowly over time, sometimes until its effects are irreversible. And the unavoidable precursor to change is acceptance. So until we accept the current state of things, we cannot alter them. So I'll give you a couple of examples of what embrace pain to avoid suffering looks like, and then we can walk through the framework on how people can actually apply this in their lives. Brilliant. The first okay. is, right, we can embrace the pain of hitting the gym for 30 minutes a day to avoid the suffering of aches and pains of a sedentary lifestyle. We can embrace the pain of a difficult conversation with a loved one or spouse to avoid the suffering of a loveless marriage that's going to end in divorce or being stuck in a marriage when we actually want divorce. We can embrace the fit, the pain of our, the, the fit our kids are sure to throw by having them put down their mobile device at the dinner table to avoid the suffering of years of lost meaningful connection and conversation we'll never get back. As business owners and entrepreneurs, we can embrace the pain of firing our top salesperson to avoid the suffering of stagnant growth and losing all our other top talent because they were the greatest cancer in our culture, right? If we are in sales development or really anything, right? We can embrace the pain of putting ourselves into a position to be able to have the pipeline of relationships necessary to live the life that we desire, whether it's in business, personal, or in, or, or in non-for-profit. We can embrace the pain of feeling and healing through the pain that has caused us to be stuck in our lives to avoid the suffering of repeating the same patterns over and over and over again. So this is the concept and it applies to everything in life. It's really about learning that it's about identifying the proper pains to embrace, not just embracing pain for pain's sake. But I believe that we all must choose our pain or our suffering will choose us. Yeah, I, I can see that for sure. And, you know, I actually used to write about pain experience as a philosopher. So that's uh, when you're talking about that's one of the things which is coming to my mind. And I also did some work in a consulting environment where you're looking at what pain looks like. And a lot of that work is around the concept versus what something looks like. And if you're stuck in the concept, you know, the critique would go, you can't really transform anything because Correct. you're just conceptualizing the experience. And that's actually Correct. what I would say, like, that's arguably why things like depression and anxiety persist is because people are conceptualizing their experience rather than being in the experience. They aren't embodying it and living it. Yep. Totally. Exactly. Totally. And so how do we do this? Right. I think, I think it begins with really understanding that we first have to acknowledge the suffering we wish to avoid. Right. And this is where we start to move into embodying it. It happens in the, in the kind of some of the following steps, but I think where, why this is important is too many people, one set goals incorrectly. I believe so many people protect themselves in the way they set visions, but most of the time we only focus on the hope and the desire. 
Mm. We focus on what we want to accomplish. We focus on the business strategies and, and tactics we want to implement. We focus on, right? Like, oh, I want to have a million dollar business of revenue this year, right? Like we focus on those external metrics, but it's always on the hope and desire side. We rarely focus on what do we want to avoid? Yeah. And so I believe it's really important for us to see ourselves most clearly to understand our bookends. So I always say we need to acknowledge the suffering we wish to avoid. I'll give an example of this. I have a 38-year-old client. He moved 26 times before the time he was 18. He lived with his mom, his dad, his aunt, his grandma. Never lived in the same place twice. Never had the same set of friends twice. Fast forward to today, okay? He's got a beautiful wife and two beautiful daughters. But what's become very, very apparent over these years is that the pain and the trauma and the shame that he suffered in those periods of time, never learning how to give or receive love effectively, has actually made him believe that he needs to be a nomad and have this wall of protection up around him, which is, in fact, causing his wife and his daughters to not have the connection and relationship with them that they deserve and he's capable of giving if he can actually move through this, right? So he needs to understand these things. He's not the man, husband, and father that he believes he is, nor that they deserve, so when he can recognize that suffering in his world is a life without his wife and daughters, it's enough for him to recognize that those are the pains necessary for him to embrace to remain sure that he has the life he wants. So we've got to understand this. Suffering is a life without them. He knows he will not heal. He knows he will not move forward. He knows he will not connect. He knows he will still be isolated and empty, right? So now let's forward think. He can stake in sitting on a, in, on, on a, in a chair with his wife at 80 years old on their ranch in Texas with the wind blowing through the breeze of the brush. And the only thing breaking the silence is the laughter of his daughters and his grandkids. Now, when he can take that image and he can burn that into his soul, right? The purpose does become big enough to overtake the pains required for him to become the man and husband and father that he is and wants to become. We have to understand both sides, but we have to start with acknowledging the suffering we wish to avoid because that's something we typically don't pay attention to. We say we want to write a million dollars of business this year. We don't say, I, want to, I don't want to lose everything and secure financial security for my family. Like We don't think about that. We only focus on the, on, on the high end. We need to, the gift is in the gray area. The gift is in the middle. Now, the reality of it is the next step after that is we've got to identify the pains we tend to avoid and learn to embrace them. This is only successful if we've already gone to the effort of understanding the suffering we wish to avoid, right? So I'll give a personal example for me, okay? Now, I told you about my arm. I don't have a tricep. I don't have a bicep. My bicep is my gracilis from my leg. I don't have a lat in the left side of my back. I have a literal curve in my spine. I've got significant suffering in my back. And 15 to 20 years ago, I started to realize the older I got, the worse it was getting. It was deteriorating. It was getting worse. It was starting to be debilitating and impact my quality of life. So what did I do? I discovered that if I stayed lean, kept a strong core, I kept moving, I was able to stretch and I was able to eat appropriately that I could mitigate that suffering into a manageable pain daily. So what did I do? I went and did what everybody else does. I joined a gym and I went consistently for 30 days, right? I was like, nope, I know my suffering. I'm here, I'm doing this. But then all of a sudden I stopped going. I had to ask myself an additional question. You see, the reality of it is most of the time, we believe that we're stuck because we have the wrong strategy and tactics in our lives, right? So if I'd taken my traditional thought process, I would have said, oh, well, this gym doesn't work. Maybe I go try another one. Maybe I get a personal trainer. Maybe I go join Orange Siri. Maybe I go join a Cycloar. Maybe I, right? And I just start swip swapping all these things. But the reality of it is the question I had to ask is, is it the pain of the gym I'm avoiding? Is it, is it the pain of working out? Is it the pain of stretching? Is it the pain of plyometrics? Nope. Or is it the anxiety I get in a crowded gym? The reality of it is, is most of the time what keeps us stuck is a combination of emotional triggers, behavioral patterns, and environmental conditioning. But had I not gone to the level of understanding the suffering I wish to avoid, which is 
I don't want to be having a debilitating lifestyle where I can still be productive, be with my wife, kids, and have absolute clarity on who I am and what I'm doing and who I'm doing it for, right? I might not have asked that additional question. And then I would have fallen in into the same pattern of repeating that path. So again, it's about identifying the pains that we tend to avoid, learning to embrace them. And then we have to establish as a habit in every area in our life. The reality of it is we know with experts in habit formation that there's an upfront cost, right? We even hear this. It's like an upfront energy tax, but that's the problem is we're looking at it as a negative. We look at it as a cost, a tax, an expense. And all I'm trying to get everybody to do is encourage themselves to view new habits, new systems, particularly where they're in alignment for you as an investment in your future self. Well, I think that's the key word there, isn't it? Like it's the alignment. If you can get someone to see that what they've actually been avoiding is something which um, is actually an alignment for them because they get so connected to either the purpose or what it is they want for their life or what they want in this particular area, then you know we start to shift the default habits and default patterns by which we operate in life. I think that's yeah. that's that's the that's the real challenge. I think is being a human being is that we there is a default way that we operate in life in everything. There's a context from which we look at something. So the context is decisive in every area. Like if you're at the gym, there's a context from which you're looking at that experience. And that context probably at the very beginning wasn't present was, oh, but this provides me opportunity to avoid having a debilitating life. No, it's like, I'm in this environment, people are looking at me and that's potentially creating these emotional triggers or it's creating this you know, mental right. conditioning which is coming up for you. So that makes perfect sense. Yep. So then the question there would be like, okay, so that's a bit of a pathway for how we can, you know, start yep. to embrace pain and to avoid suffering, but where do people start to get stuck or where do they fall off the, the, the ladder, so to speak, and not get this distinction to work for them? Yeah. So I think it's, it, it, it often falls in the breakdown of some of these steps, right? People don't actually understand the suffering they wish to avoid, right? They don't actually set that bet bookend to be able to understand where they're going to do it. And then very frequently people don't actually take the time to understand that secondary question on like, what are the pains that I tend to avoid? But again, really where they get stuck and it's, it's, it's most often in that is, is through their emotional triggers, right? The reality of it is, is most people don't quite understand truly what are the things that trigger them what how do they actually move through those and so the real again in my situation understanding that the anxiety that i got in a crowded gym was rooted in my shame is what allowed me to move through it mm. i had to be able to unpack and understand why do i have the anxiety not why for the sake of becoming more aware of all the ways i should be judging myself as dr tasha Yurik says however like to be able to be understanding of why so that I know what to do about it from a future focus and objective perspective so I don't have to repeat the path. And so most often people get stuck, it's there. It's what are those pains and why am I actually getting stuck as a result of these pains? And so that's where we do a lot of heavy work with individuals to really understand what their emotional triggers are and start to give them a process to be able to take their emotional triggers and move through them from the inside out so that they can actually have clarity on where are those blocking points in my life and where do those patterns repeat themselves? Yeah, I can, I can get that. And, you know, I think similarly when it comes to the emotional trigger, I think part of the, the an area which I see, which really ensures that the emotional trigger persists is the significance you give it, right? Like one thing I like to right. do with people is to look and see like when you have an emotional response to anything. So I'll give you an example with someone I was working with around anxiety and they came up to me, I was at work and I said, Sam, you used to have anxiety. And I said, yeah. And I was literally about to go to lunch, like two minutes. Um, and I said, yeah, I said, yeah, what's going on? And then she started talking about her experience 
And because we were trained in a similar distinction, we could, we could talk from that place. So she was like, all right, my, my throat's seizing up right now. And she was, you know, the anxiety was palpable in the body. And okay. And I said, okay, are you your throat? She said, no. And then I said, okay, well, what's next? She said, oh, my chest is beating really fast. And I'm like, okay, great. Are you your chest? And we just kept going through each of the experiences that she was having, which were connected with her emotional state at that time until she started laughing. So the anxiety disappeared because she got present to the absurdity of everything which was happening without her say so because of just the conditioning that she has. And so then she was able to be completely in a completely different state in that experience. Yeah. So I think that's brilliant, Sam. I look at that often though, as real time ability to diffuse the toll of the emotions, Mm. not necessarily always a path to learn how to not have the same reactions in the future. Yeah, I can get that for sure. So I love the way you described that. And it's beautiful, truly. Like, I love everything that you said. Um, I think where that can hurt is unless someone either is extremely trained in it or has an outside influence who can guide them through that process. And in this case, you even said, hey, we were trained in the same modalities and language, and she still required an outside lens to guide her through it. Yeah. Right. And so that that brings some context and understanding of realizing that, look, sometimes we need an outside lens to help us see it clearly. But the reality of what I'm talking about with emotional triggers is not just what you said, which is we have to understand in the moment how to diffuse it and move through it. Like that is absolutely critical. Yeah. But how do we get ourselves to a point where we get triggered less and less because we actually understand that we've gone through the process of unrooting why we're actually getting anxiety in these contexts anyway? Because when typically we can see those things clearly, understand that the root is often not anything to do with what she was experiencing in that moment, the two minutes before lunch, but likely everything to do with the way her grandpa looked at her when she was four, right? The more we're able to unpack that and understand it, the more we're also able to diffuse those emotions real time to recognize it has nothing to do with what's in front of me. It has something to do with something in the past. So then I can feel in order to heal the things that are unhealed from the past that are causing me to still experience this wound and this pattern in my life. Yeah, I completely agree. Like it's got to be done in tandem. You both want to look at the root cause of what's creating the experience in the first place. And then you want to be able to be able to help them deal with the experiences which they continue to have until they've, you know, broken past the pain of the past. And it's not in their future, essentially. I love how you broke it down in the real time though, because that's just beautiful. And that's truly like, that's something that so many people just don't take the time to do. Because most of the time when we get triggered, that's one of our first steps is it's just in those moments, acknowledge it. Where is it moving through your body? right? And pause in those moments to take toll on what's actually happening in front of you, take a breath so that you can recreate different patterns and move through it, right? That's like a very simplified version of how we break it down. But but so often getting somebody right now to be where their feet are to actually take toll on what they're experiencing, instead of just reacting to it, right? We often say that emotional triggers, right, are designed, I mean, the really emotional triggers can pull you. All triggers are designed to be pulled. So you can either allow your emotional triggers to pull you and react, which Reactions often cause damage that require repair, or you can pull the trigger on your emotional triggers, see them very clearly, and in those moments choose to respond, negating the need to ever create repair because there's no damage. That's beautiful. So I want to keep the conversation going and I want to shift us because you know when we when we chatted before we started this podcast, one of the things that we, we both have a kind of um, a bent about potentially is around authenticity. And, you know, I want to look at this distinction between authenticity as, you know, maybe we see the word being used all the time in the world versus radical authenticity, which is what I know you are, you know, promote. So can you tell me a little bit more about 
what's what's the beef you have with the way authenticity is understood and, and how, where, are you, where are we going wrong essentially yeah you know I, i'm going to say this is the case with any buzzword right any buzzword that that starts to take off particularly in the business culture starts to lose depth and meaning and then all of a sudden it just becomes empty and i feel like authenticity is one of those words right authenticity I, I, there's really been no merit or description that's behind it it's just like be your authentic self what does that mean, right? What does authenticity actually mean? What does it mean to show up authentically? And, and can I be an authentic person, but be inauthentic in moments? Can I, right? I just, there's way too many failure points in this idea of like authenticity in, in the buzzword. Radical authenticity, as I call it, is, is it's almost just truly centering in your truth as often as possible. Um. Radical authenticity is not an unfiltered version of self. It's not an excuse to say anything you want, do anything you want, because you can just say, well, this is me, right? Which allows you to just go create damage and spew slander all over the board because you're like, well, this is me. No, that's not authenticity, right? And again, most of that stuff is typically fueled in pain anyway. So I'm going to argue that anybody who justifies that, you probably have some deeper work to do. But the reality of it is it's not an unfiltered version of self. It's about demonstrating who we are to the world as authentically as possible, recognizing that it's our actions, our words that demonstrate who we are to the world. Right. Yeah. I'm really big on we know when we've done something that's not in alignment with who we are. We know. We know when we carry guilt. We know when we carry anxiety or stress. We, we look back and we regret an interaction. We know when we've acted out of alignment with our standards, with who we are, how we operate. And so radical authenticity is about really making sure that we can put ourselves in a position to truly be vulnerable as, as, as much as possible, because I believe that human connection is rooted in vulnerability and authenticity as the glue that binds it together. So we cannot have one without the other. So authenticity is how do I approach situations without armor? to connect with authentically who I am in alignment with who I am in alignment with who I'm doing this for, who I'm going to impact and who I'm doing this with. If we root it all in the who versus the what, that's when we start to actually see authenticity as more of a human experience versus how do I demonstrate who I am externally? It's, do I even know who that is to begin with? Yeah. And I think that's one of the challenges. Like, so one of the areas which I spent a lot of time looking at was politics and, you know, there is a hell of a lot of inauthenticity in, in, in that realm. Um, and I think part of the issue is that you have a way in which you've got results for a lot of people who have come to be politicians. Correct. And deceit and dishonesty is one way which often is a way to get to the top. So it can be really difficult to kind of determine, like, who am I really? And so I, I want to almost challenge this idea that you just shared where it's like, okay, so we know because of what our standards are, but the standards aren't a binary thing. They are blurred and they shift they from moment to moment. So like, how does someone who has, you know, their standards have shifted so far, you know, and now that they spew whatever they do in, like in Congress and it's like, this is the truth, right? Like, and they, they, they've, they've said it so often to themselves, their brain believes that they, they believe it. Yeah. How do you get someone like that to shift into a realm of authenticity? Yeah, that's a beautiful question. Um, and I also want to say one, one additional clarifier as well, because when I say alignment, it's not just alignment with yourself, what you feel and what you experience, but it's alignment with how others experience you and in different roles and capacities, right? So particularly in the today's world where everything's online and virtualized po politicians and everything, you know, when you see somebody online and you meet them in person, 
do they match the person that you've experienced online? Right. Often there's a misalignment. And so that's partially like why people don't trust. That's why the world is starving for authenticity and authentic leadership right now. Um, so the question that you asked, I think, is a really good one. And it's how do we know, how do we sense it and how do we catch? Because particularly what you're tapping into is the fact that we can actually condition and train our intellectual and emotional narratives ourselves. And so we can spew something so regularly and so consistently that we actually start to believe it is truth. Absolutely. And so I think that this is truly about helping people recognize that it's not just about an intellectual narrative and not just about an emotional narrative, but it's about the balance and regulation between the two. I am a believer that when there's misalignment, you will feel it or experiencing it in some way if you're actually being honest with yourself, right? And so I think that oftentimes misalignment shows up as some, fort of, some sort of resistance or energy drain in your world, whether it's internally or externally, right? So you may not be able to progress past something. You keep hitting the same wall externally with some conversation that you're having. Well, guess what? There's probably some misalignment there, either, either with that person and you or how you're showing up in that environment. But we also experience isolation, we experience depression, we experience fear, we experience scarcity, we experience shame, we experience guilt, worth, all of these things that truly can manifest as a result of a misalignment in demonstrating who we are to the world. And so if we are going down a path and we start noticing that we are intellectualizing a narrative that we now believe as true, I would argue that it's showing up in some physical or emotional realm in your world if you're actually paying attention. So if your health is slipping, if you all of a sudden you're starting to feel a little bit more anxiety, that's a moment to pause and say, am I in alignment holistically in my life? And to actually turn in and unpack that in different containers. I give people a very simplistic list, like two lists to create. And it's very easy to center ourselves in who we authentically are. If we're honest with this real time, based on the evolution of these standards and context, right? And if we can center ourselves in these two camps, often and regularly, we see ourselves more clearly. The first is make a list of all the people, sources of information, environments, context, cultures, that make you feel good, that leave you feeling uplifted, energized, that make you literally like that. You could spend eight hours and it felt like one because you're in flow state. You can't wait to go run through that brick wall tomorrow, right? To do the exact same thing because you're just energized and full of life, right? We know what that feels like. Every single one of us knows what that feels like, okay? Create a counter list. What are all the things, people, sources of information, environments, cultures, contexts that you are in, in that leave you feeling depleted? They leave you feeling unworthy. They leave you feeling like you just don't want to get up and do something else. That one hour feels like aided is so miserable and painful that you just don't even know. You feel toxic. You just feel anxious. You feel all these things. Again, we all know what these are. Yet, even though we know what these are, we still have them in our lives. And the more we exist here, the less authentic we're going to be. So systematically remove as many things from this list as possible and spend as much time on this list as possible. Because when we're in alignment with the things that actually energize us, that we can move forward, that we don't experience resistance and energy drain, we get to be more authentically who we are. And oh, by the way, we also get to attract who we want into our world without even having to try. Yeah, that's that's a really powerful um, way of looking at it. And, and I like this idea of looking at these two lists and, and really seeing, okay, like, because we do know, we are really clear. Like, even if you are a politician who has, you know, got results in a way which, um, we might have, you know, some of us might describe as morally reprehensible. Um, that doesn't <laughs> yeah. mean they don't experience the, the same guilt, fear, shame, all the other stuff that you do because they're a human being. And you can't, whatever pretense we put on in life, you know, whoever we are, 
there is still the, you know, the thing you can't deal with, which is the evolutionary brain. <laughs> like, so that that's just the fact of the matter. So whatever we see is not, a, is not necessarily what they're experiencing. And I definitely think there is an opportunity to, you know, it just as, you know, there's a context in, in what you're talking about, where it's how you can embrace pain to avoid suffering. I think that's exactly what's possible when it comes to the realm of politics, because if people actually saw the opportunity of responsibility or the opportunity that authenticity would actually create relatability in politics, then you would actually have a lot more politicians who would be going that yeah. path rather than the way they go. Yeah. And the reality of it is, is like, it's, is it painful to be exactly who you are, be authentic and live by that consistently? Absolutely. But I think the suffering, if you don't, is way worse. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, we often look at these moments of discomfort. Right. And I often say that discomfort is the 5K to pain's marathon. Right. So pain doesn't always have to be this ex exaggerated extreme thing. But you and I could be in a conversation. You could say something that triggers me. Right. And I could react to it in that moment and, and spew off. Or I could pause in that moment and just feel the resistance and energy drain. And I could choose to either address it if I felt like it was worthwhile or that relationship was one I wanted to, or I can put it in a container to visit later if I don't see it clearly, or I can just completely leave it alone. What I can't do is just shove it down and ignore that it ever happened, right? But when I feel that resistance and energy drain, I feel yucky, right? Or, or maybe I say something to you and I'm like, oh, geez, Sam, like, wow, like, I, that sweater is incredible with that zipper. I, I don't know how you do that all the way zipped up tight, right? Like I could say something, <laughs> right? Literally like that. And I'm, I'm obviously making up an example. You make that sweater look beautiful, but like I could say something in jest, not paying attention to it and it not feel right when I came out, which means that I've probably created damage. So in those moments to remove the resistance and energy drain, how do we do that? We create repair. So I can literally pull that back real time and be like, wow, Sam, that came out completely differently than I intended. And I genuinely was complimenting you on that sweater, but I know that the way I said it came across probably like, what is he talking about? Like, where does this fit on my body and how, to, right? The point is, we all know when we're out of alignment with the beliefs and standards and how we want to interact and connect with other people. The problem is we don't pay attention to those little moments of discomfort that we experience when we feel the resistance and energy drain, and we don't do anything about it. So then we carry it with us. And guess what? That transfers into the next interaction and the next, because every time we get a charge of resistance and energy drain, it just continues to multiply until we either explode on somebody, right? Or we just have this edge about us because we can't pay attention to why we can't be free, have joy and fulfillment in our lives. Yeah, I see, I see it all with a lot of people, just the way they walk around life. It, 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 and it's training to look at and training to be with. Totally. <laughs> you know, you're, you're really like, just as soon as I get into a conversation with you, Brian, like my energy, you know, it lifts up because the energy that you bring to the conversation automatically like, okay, to be in this conversation, I have to lift my level of being, which is what I love. You know, that's, that's where, you know, the edge yeah. of life is and that's where I get things get exciting. So I want to now move us into a different direction and it, yeah. it, it touches on something that you shared earlier around, you know, the words that we say and, you know, one of the, you know, the distinction, which I've been taught over the last four years and looked at deeper and deeper is around integrity and who you are is your word. Right. Mm. So I want to look at this in terms of this question of who are you really? Because that's what this, this podcast has been about for the last two years. And that's the conversation that I've been in yeah. for the last two and a half years. So when you hear that question, who are you really? Do you see there as being an answer to it? There's an answer to it, but it's not defined and it's constantly evolving. Right. And so you and I talked about this before, and I, I really deeply appreciate that question. Who are you really? And is there an answer to that question? The second part of the question is as powerful as the first, by the way, um, if not more. 
And so I have to pause and acknowledge that for everybody that, that listens to you regularly and knowing that that's what you've been about for two and a half years, it's a profound and deep question. And they've gotten to benefit from you extracting that from people. Um, I have never been asked that question in that way. And I do believe that there is an answer, but it is not an answer that is um, defined and there's no final destination. There's only a constant evolution of self, right? So I think who are you really is a combination of your past, your present, and who you're becoming. I don't want to say your future because we can't control those variables, right? But our pasts shape us. They genuinely condition who we are, right? We are born into this world as in a totally neutral, bright, burning, shining light. And then we're slowly funneled down this path to the box that the world wants us to fit in. We often forget who we were before the world told us who to be. And so it's important for us to understand the past that shapes who we have been up until now and the things that make us who we are in this moment. They are also the things, by the way, that guide and shape who we want to become. I believe that we all are who we authentically are when we're born and we lose who we are by chasing the what's. We chase the what's of the world, what house, what car, what amount of money, what amount of success, all the shoulds the world layers on top of us that have implied that whatever we're doing or whoever we are isn't good enough. And when we recognize at some point that we've lost who we are, even a fraction of who we are, it's then shedding the layers of what the world has told us who we need to be to get back to the core. Once we're back to the core or near the core, we also then get to build towards who we're becoming from there. I believe that, by the way, we can build who we're becoming alongside who we are today. So I don't necessarily view it as one linear path. They're two mm. tangential paths. We can be evolving and growing and who we're becoming constantly while we're also fighting to get back to who we are at the core. It's two paths. But who yeah. are we really, I think, is a combination of multiple different time sets and recognizing the emotional triggers, behavioral patterns, environmental conditioning, and the people that have influenced all those elements on who we are. Um, and I'm a big believer that everybody deserves to get back to who they already are. And if we could actually do that, I think this world would be a lot happier place. Yeah. Like for me, like the question, which I am constantly looking at and, you know, it, it always brings something new is to look at like, what can I give up being right about? Oh, dude, it's beautiful. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Um, and, and I love that you just said that you just got me on a whole different thought process. You know, I've said for a long time, I care about getting it right, not being right. Um, but something that I've been struggling with for a very, very long time is um, I've been fighting for a long time. I've been fighting, right? I've been fighting uh, the pain that I experience. I've been fighting the pressure of the world. I've been fighting the external narratives based on who I am. I've been fighting my shame. I've been fighting anger. I've been fighting, right? All, all of these things. So, so many of us have, right? Like we're literally taught to fight or flight. And that's kind of what the world is. We're polarized and politicized and everything's separated because we're trying to fight a point. We have to be right to feel, feel safe and protected. And the reality of it is, is like a couple of weeks ago, I hit this moment where I like wanted to give up. And I said that to my wife. I was like, I just want to give up. Mm. And she said one thing to me at 1.15 in the morning when I was in my gym working on my body because of the physical pain I was in that night. She said, you're not alone. We will figure this out. So the next day I reflected on that. And, you know, I have trust, surrender, breathe tattooed on my arm. I'm a big believer in those three words and, and how they really guide so much of what we do. And what I realized that morning, that next morning is it's not those moments that I'm wavering on whether or not to give up. It's those moments on whether or not I'm wavering to give in. Do I give in to the pressure of the world? Do I give in to the pain? Do I give in to the shame, right? 
or I can give up those things. I can give up the narratives of the world and create my own. I can give up my perception and relationship with pain and redevelop and build a new one, right? I can give up all of these other things. And I realize that giving up, although it has a negative connotation typically, is actually rooted in surrender. And fighting, by the way, doesn't accomplish what we're seeking to accomplish. Fighting, what I realize, right? You swing the pendulum from one side to the other, because to your point, if you're right, if you're proving to get it right, you're trying to stake your claim in one side or the other. So you literally swing the pendulum from one side to the other. But when you fight, you overtake the opposition. You don't neutralize and diffuse it. Yeah. The reality of it is surrender neutralizes and diffuses. Love neutralizes and diffuses. And I think those two things can overtake any negative energy. So when we look at like, what is this whole idea of being right or not? Surrender is rooted in detachment, is rooted in all of these things that are exactly what you said. When we don't have to worry about being right and we don't have to worry about protecting ourselves or our stance to be right, then we can truly be free. And that's rooted in surrender. But it makes sense too, because I believe the human experience is rooted in four things. We all desire to feel safe. We all desire to feel protected. And those are not the same thing. We all desire to feel seen and understood. And we all desire to feel connected. By the way, that last one is one of the most core elements of the human experience, but it doesn't happen unless those first three do. Mm. So what happens, right? We walk in and if we're fighting, we're fighting, we've got armor up, don't we? That armor automatically prevents us from getting everything we want because we aren't going to be seen and understood. And we're certainly not going to be connected if we have our own armor up to make ourselves feel safe. So we've accomplished the first two, but not the second two, which are the most important. And so every time we fight, every time we try to be right, it's truly, we have armor up. So not only are we protecting ourselves by pushing everything else away from what we actually really want. But again, we know that armor based in Brene Brown also gets heavier more, the more we carry it, the longer we carry it. So it incrementally crushes us over time. So whenever we seek to protect ourselves, which is what we've been conditioned to do in this world, we literally block out everything else we desire. Yeah. So if people could just embrace the pain of lowering that armor around themselves, raising a level of armor around the environment that they're in so that they can be the leader that create protection so that everyone in that room feels safe. Now they've facilitated an environment where people can feel seen and understood, protected and connected. And that's not about fighting. That's about surrender. Yeah. And you know, what you're sharing really is, is about what leadership requires. It's about how do we shift the context in which we already, the existing context in which we're looking at something so that something else can come forth, you know, so yeah. a new possibility can emerge, which wasn't, a, you know, which ever even been considered to this point. Like it's right. audacious to consider you could impact a billion lives in the next, you know, 25 years or whatever, 30 years, right? But that's only going to be coming from an existing knowing of what's possible. Correct. If you're coming from an existing knowing what's possible, then, you know, it's just not going to happen because leadership right. doesn't happen based on what we already know. It comes based on taking a chance on something which hasn't already happened. If it had already yep. happened, you know, who cares? That's right. That's right. Yeah. And here's the thing. I mean, a billion lives, it's not going to happen one-to-one, right? And it's not going to be all me. It's going to be through collective impact. It's yeah. through aligning with people like you. It's aligning with people who listen to this and take one thing from it and share it or implement it in their world, right? When we recognize how do we actually get to a billion, a billion is not that crazy of a number when you actually sit back and look at what can happen in 25 years. Yeah. I was in a conversation yesterday with you know a bunch of just really extraordinary people. And um, it was a huddle to create you know a collective impact. It was really clear, like even though these people are, are leading all sorts of different projects around the world, this experiment was about how do we as a collective build collective, you know, this impact so that a new possibility emerges 
you know, you know, and looking at right now is the biggest opportunity as that we've ever oh, had. Yeah. Oh yeah. I couldn't agree more. I mean, the friction to access people across the globe is less than it's ever been, right? The ease of reaching people because of now how zoom is literally normalized. I say zoom, right? It's, it's Kleenex. It's, it's posted. They've, they've literally taken the title for what we consider video conferencing in, in most rooms, but um, it's unlike any other time in our history. And the awakening that's happening at a global level right now also needs a little bit of a push and a little bit of a nudge. So what I love is that there's lots of these pockets of people who are like, hey, what's been happening is not what we want to happen again in the future. And we're realizing that, again, we could sit back and, and call ourselves the victims, or we can literally reposition our, our spot into a place of ownership and start taking influence and control over the future that we want to create for ourselves, our kids, our grandkids. Yeah. And, you know, I think there's also another level to this idea when it comes to like the combustion, which is created when we're so obsessed about getting things right or being right. Mm. And that is, we tend to think of it in terms of the reaction of others, but it's actually the being right about ourselves, which is the most potent of all, right? Because we automatically have these different thoughts and triggers and, you know, everything which is happening automatically in life. And then we have a choice about whether or not we create significance about what it is or we actually go the other way and be like, oh, that's happening without my say-so. Like, let me actually look and pause. Like, in the next time I'm triggered by something, like, did I actually do anything? Or did this all just sort of enter into what we call our brain? Because we don't actually have any experience of the brain. We have a concept of the brain. Did it all just happen without yeah. me doing anything? And if I can get and I can see, you know, wait, this just happened without my say-so. Okay, where's that shadow? Like, where did that come from? Like, what? And get curious. The more curiosity we bring to our life, the more we can let go and surrender. That is so beautifully said. So beautifully said. Um, I, I, I'm not even going to add to it. It was so perfectly said. The thing I, I, I do want to say, though, is you reminded me of Ryan Holiday's quote from The Obstacle is the Way. There is no good or bad without us. There's the event that happens and the story we tell ourselves about it. What story are you telling yourself, right? What story intellectually have you created or are you modeling? What story emotionally have you created or are you modeling, right? And are you seeing it for what it actually is? Or are you seeing it based on the lens that you're viewing the world based on your own prior experiences and preconditions? I just ask, I, I, to your point, all I want people to do is just ask themselves some additional questions. It's rooted in curiosity. Yeah. 100%. You know, this, 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 this whole podcast is about getting curious and disrupting existing thinking. And, you know, it's been incredible to have this conversation with you, Brian, because we've definitely got to disrupt some existing ways of looking at the world. And that's what I love more than anything. And I just love the energy and I love what you're about. So thank you so much for being on the show. Well, dude, thank you. And you just said me one more thing that I got to say, I, I'm going to even challenge, like, I'm not even sure that we have a lot of existing thinking because I think we've lost the art of thinking. <laughs> Right. I mean, at the end of the day, we have literally been conditioned to not think and to not feel. Mm. And so, again, what you're being a champion for, what you're advocating for is not dissimilar than anything I am, which is I'm just trying to get people to feel and think. But at the end of the day, I want them to take it a layer deeper. I want to not only learn how to think again and learn how to feel again, but I want us to learn how to think about our thinking, think about our feeling, feel our thinking and feel our feelings. If we can recognize that that's the quadrant that success in our lives exists, that's how we see ourselves more clearly. 
And when we layer that process and those four quadrants on top of our lives, mentally, physically, spiritually, and emotionally, now all of a sudden we have two dimensions that we layer on top of each other. We have a three-dimensional world that we know how to move through. So let's just get not only challenge existing thinking, I'm going to challenge that we even have existing thinking. Let's create thinking and then let's create thinking about our thinking and feeling about our thinking and the other two quadrants as well. Yeah, super powerful. And, you know, it, it literally goes to like the kind of neuroscience where the brain is not for thinking, it's for prediction. And that we, and we relate to ourselves as essentially our brain, but some of the, neuro, the latest work in consciousness, like Alvin Noe's yep. stuff is like, we are not, you know, you're, you are not your brain is the basic idea. Right. And it's in the, in movement. You know, that's where actually everything else happens. It's the embodied, embodied condition idea, but we don't have time to kind of jump into all of that. We don't, but man, I just want to say thank you for creating a platform for me to pour some good into the world. And I hope that we have some future conversations because this is always fun. Yeah, likewise. And Brian, before, before I leave you, just can you let us know, like, how can people reach out to you? What's the best way to, to find you? Yep. Yep. Um, if you're on social media, I'm at Bogart Brian on any of them. Um, we do have a, a free resource for you as well. And I want to be really, really clear here. There's no pitch. I'm not trying to do anything. Uh, at the end of the day, we created a, a free download that we've evolved into a, a free course. And it's the very preliminary portion of a lot of our courses and communities. And it gives you 30 minutes of video content and a lot of other things. Here's what I'm going to say. Genuinely, everything we put out there is to elevate and empower the people. And we realize that to impact a billion lives, 99.9999999999 will never pay us a dollar. So when I say free, like genuinely, if it's not for you and there's no value, great. If it is, absorb it and take it and run. If you need more support, there's many ways to engage. But if you go to nolimitsprelude.com, you can get access to our free course. Amazing. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to check it out myself. <laughs> all right, Brian. Yeah, all like all I can do is, is is thank you again. Thank you so much, mate. Thank you, brother. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Your support really means the world to me. And without it, this podcast wouldn't exist. And if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and please share your biggest takeaways or what you want to hear discussed by going to thisyoumeinlife.com. And if you're ready to go beyond who you know yourself to be really, then go to thephilosophicalcoach.com. I can't wait to talk with you soon.